Republic military presence is the only sure defense against the Separatists. Even extremists can be reasoned with. Perhaps if one can be heard over the clanking of their battle droids. Oh, the sarcasm of a soldier. The delusion of a dreamer. Duchess, Master Jedi, it's been a long trip. I think we could all use a little rest and refreshment. Here, here. Now, let us put politics aside until after dinner. Fine. This is for our love of a galaxy far, far away. It's a galaxy as big as our imaginations, but it feels close like a member of the family. This is Forever Star Wars. Hello there. recent rewatch of The Clone Wars, I found myself drawn to stories of Mandalore, most likely the result of my appreciation for The Mandalorian on Disney+. And within those stories, specifically the relationship of Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi and the Honorable Duchess Satine Kryze. It's a lesser known tragic romance in Star Wars, overshadowed by the Greek tragedy of Anakin and Padme. But in many ways, the story of Obi-Wan and Satine is a notable parallel to Anakin's journey. Star Wars is full of echo and rhyme, and there are many similar themes cropping up in this lesser-known romance that mirror the romance that leads to the fall of Anakin Skywalker. During my rewatch of The Clone Wars, I realized that Obi-Wan and Satine had enough of a backstory to deserve their own featurette here on Forever Star Wars. The Clone Wars is over 10 years old, but I still must say it. There will be spoilers. Lots and lots of spoilers. So if you've got The Clone Wars on your list to watch, and you don't know the story of Obi-Wan and Satine yet, you should stop listening right now and go watch that arc. Do it now. It really is good. I promise you won't be disappointed. So, for everyone else still here, let's explore the beautiful but faded tale of the Duchess and the Jedi. The planet Mandalore, situated in the Outer Rim territories, was home to a fearsome warrior culture. Mandalorians were ancient enemies of the Jedi, with body armor crafted out of Beskar metal, which was mostly impenetrable to lightsabers. The Jedi and the Mandos go way back, to a time when a Mandalorian was actually a member of the Jedi Order on Coruscant, and his saber was unlike any the Jedi had ever wielded. Legend tells that it was created over a thousand years ago by Tar Vizsla, the first Mandalorian ever inducted into the Jedi Order. After his passing, the Jedi kept the Saber in their temple. That was until members of House Vizsla snuck in and liberated it. They used the Saber to unify the people and strike down those who would oppose them. At one time, they ruled all of Mandalore wielding this blade. The warrior ways of the Mandalorian people came with a great cost. Years of warfare ravaged their home planet until it was inhospitable, except for those who retreated into the safety of great domed cities, shielded from the planet's unforgiving atmosphere. Eventually, Mandalore fell under the leadership of a pacifist reformer 
who sought to heal the planet and its war-torn culture from generations of destructive infighting. Her name was Duchess Satine Kreese. Beautiful, ethereal, wise. Duchess Satine was a thoughtful idealist, but her convictions were so threatening it caused another civil war. The Jedi Council dispatched Qui-Gon Jinn and his young Padawan Obi-Wan Kenobi to protect the Duchess from assassination, and Satine and Obi-Wan developed an intense relationship while on the run from bounty hunters for almost a year. When Satine's faction of new Mandalorians won the Civil War, the dissidents were sent to the Moon Concordia. Satine began the arduous task of rebuilding Mandalorian society and became even more determined that Mandalore needed a pacifist reformation. Obi-Wan left Satine and returned to his training as a Padawan, but Obi-Wan's heart was never the same. I have a bad feeling about this. I don't sense anything. It's not about the mission master, it's something elsewhere. Elusive. Don't center on your anxieties, Obi-Wan. Keep your concentration here and now where it belongs. But Master Yoda said I should be mindful of the future. But not at the expense of the moment. Be mindful of the living force, young Padawan. Yes, Master. The Council often paired Master and Apprentice based on what each might learn from one another. And that was probably the case for Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan needed a mentor who would challenge his rigid worldview, and Qui-Gon would benefit from a student who reminded him of the more structured ways of the Order. Qui-Gon, however, was not so easily influenced by structure or protocol, much to the dismay of his young apprentice. The boy will not pass the Council's test, Master. He's too old. Anakin will become a Jedi, I promise you. Do not defy the Council, Master, not again. I shall do what I must, Obi-Wan. If you would just follow the code, you would be on the council. They will not go along with you this time. You still have much to learn, my young apprentice. Obi-Wan was open to his teacher's unique point of view, but Obi-Wan was also prone to playing it by the book. And if given a choice, he always chose the traditional mindset over that which was unconventional. This trait would later affect his relationship with his own student, Anakin Skywalker, in profound and tragic ways. But we first saw the seeds of Obi-Wan's adherence to the Jedi Code in Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. It's not disrespect, Master, it's the truth. From your point of view. The boy is dangerous. They all sense it, why can't you? His fate is uncertain. He's not dangerous. The Council will decide Anakin's future. That should be enough for you. Now get on board. Opposites attract. And with both Qui-Gon and Anakin, Obi-Wan was often at his best when his closest ally was someone who would challenge his adherence to dogma. Satine Kreese was one such ally. Bound by her own duty to conscience, Satine subscribed to a radical form of pacifism. In some ways, this belief was more aligned with what the Jedi aspired to be, but the Separatist conflict had made the Jedi warriors. Satine was determined to keep Mandalore out of the fight, and she resented that the Republic and the Jedi seemed determined to rob Mandalore of its neutrality. For Satine, that neutrality was the only thing keeping her planet from destroying itself. 
In spite of this difference of philosophy and commitment to duty, or perhaps because of it, Obi-Wan and Satine each shared an understanding of what the other was bound to. The political and societal restraints kept them from considering a life with each other, but they still managed to steal enough private moments to forge a deep and abiding friendship, and possibly more. Satine's desire for neutrality in the Galactic War was threatened by internal forces as well. The banished insurgents on the Concordia moon formed a terrorist cell called Death Watch, of which Satine's own sister Bo-Katan Kreese was a founding member. Death Watch's goal was to remove Satine from her seat of power, and they began conspiring with separatist spies to that end. They accused Satine of being a separatist conspirator. First rule of politics, accuse your enemy of doing the very thing you're guilty of. Your peaceful ways have paid off. Mandalore has prospered since the last time I was here. Not everyone on Mandalore believes that our commitment to peace is a sign of progress. There is a group that calls itself Death Watch. I imagine these are the renegades you're looking for. They idolize violence and the warrior ways of the past. An older and more seasoned Obi-Wan traveled to Mandalore to investigate this new conflict and found himself at loggerheads with the Duchess over her desire to remain neutral. Satine's mandate to keep the peace was something the Jedi should have appreciated more, since that was their primary mandate. And the irony did not escape her. A peacekeeper belongs on the front lines of conflict. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to do his job. The work of a peacekeeper is to make sure that conflict does not arise. Yes, a noble description, but not a realistic one. Is reality what makes a Jedi abandon his ideals? Or is it simply a response to political convenience? Agree as he might with the principle of nonviolence, Obi-Wan was a pragmatist. He realized that neutrality would ensure a separatist victory and choosing sides was a necessary evil once the fighting had begun. In spite of her attempts to encourage peace, violence had returned to Mandalore. Death Watch, led by Pre Vizsla, Concordia's former governor, wanted all of Mandalore to return to the warrior ways, and Death Watch was willing to die for their beliefs. I sense some anxiety from you about the Duchess. She couldn't be in safer hands. Yes, I know. Then why... Never mind. It's all in the past. Oh, so you're close to her. I knew her a long time ago. This was a revelation to Anakin. Suddenly, he was seeing his master in a new light. Obi-Wan's desires may not have been so different from Anakin's, at least in concept. In practice, it was quite different. Anakin's attachments created intense feelings of entitlement possession, and a desire to control. Obi-Wan's attachment was more a longing, with a sense of regret for what might have been. When she returned, she took on the difficult task of rebuilding her world alone. You didn't stay to help her. That would have been problematic. My duty as a Jedi demanded I be elsewhere. Demanded? But it's obvious you had feelings for her. Surely that would affect your decision. Oh, it did. I live by the Jedi Code. Of course. As Master Yoda says, a Jedi must not form attachments. Yes, but he usually leaves out the undercurrent of remorse. 
There are definitely parallels between Anakin and Obi-Wan in their histories with attachment. They both develop feelings for public figures, with the ramifications of an affair having very public consequences for everyone involved. But where Anakin indulged his feelings, Obi-Wan, ever the model Jedi, suppressed them. Whether this caused Anakin to feel closer or more distant from his master is unclear. This revelation could have been an opportunity for a shared understanding between the two Jedi, or it might have caused Anakin to see Obi-Wan's adherence to the code as hypocritical, given what was actually in his heart. The episode didn't address this aspect of the two men's relationship, so we're left to speculate. Back on Mandalore, the threat from Death Watch increased, and the Republic considered initiating a preemptive occupation of Mandalore to keep it from falling into the hands of Death Watch. Hands where we can see them. You are coming with us. I didn't kill him. Subject identified as Duchess Satine Greaves. Satine found herself embroiled in an elaborate conspiracy to frame her. Her own regime had been infiltrated by corruption. She was so focused on external threats that she failed to see the rot within her own ranks. Obi-Wan's situation was similar. The war had occupied much of his attention, so he was less attentive to Anakin's slow, steady regression from the light. The Jedi Order as a whole was losing sight of the ideals and values that defined the Jedi philosophy. However, Satine and Obi-Wan could still count on each other, and they fought side by side many times throughout their relationship, strengthening the trust and the bond, and a shared understanding of how special that bond could be in dangerous times. If not for the circumstance of their stations in life, they would have made the galaxy's ultimate power couple. I never got your names. I am Maul. This is Savage. Our brothers are in favor of an alliance to liberate Mandalore. This Duchess of yours will soon discover the true burden of peace. The couple eventually faced their greatest threat of all. Years earlier on Naboo, Obi-Wan had defeated Darkseid apprentice Darth Maul, bisecting him before Maul fell into a chasm. Maul, through sheer will, survived the encounter and became consumed with a thirst for vengeance against Obi-Wan. Independent of the Separatist plot against Mandalore, Maul and his brother Savage Opress formed a coalition of crime syndicates called the Shadow Collective and worked with Death Watch to spread crime and violence on Mandalore so the Pre Vizsla and Death Watch could swoop in and save the people. Chained to her ideals, Satine was unable to stop the violence. Duchess Satine was trying to hold on to a peaceful future for Mandalore that relied on Mandalorian society believing that peace was possible. Death Watch sowed the seeds of fear and mistrust and offered the glory of power in a return to the strength and the might of the Mandalorian past. They offered populism. People of Mandalore! I am Pre Vizsla of Clan Vizsla. Death Watch is here to save you from these intergalactic gangsters that threaten our great city. This is a war, and we will win. 
join me, and let us defend Mandalore against the criminals. We need action, not pacifism. Do not listen to him! His war will cause the end of Mandalore as we know it. We are under attack. There is no time for discussion. The Duchess was watching her dream for Mandalore slip away as fear and cynicism gripped her homeworld. When Death Watch entered the picture to clean up Mandalore, they proved to the people that the old ways were the only path to order and stability. This was an interesting parallel to what was happening with the Clone War, the Republic, and the Jedi Knights. From the shadows, Darth Sidious engineered the conflict of the Clone War to plunge the galaxy into turmoil and to force the Jedi to put aside their principles and become complicit in the fighting. Citizens of the Republic would come to see the Jedi as responsible for the ravages of war spreading throughout the galaxy, just as Satine was being set up to take the fall for the chaos on Mandalore. In both instances, the fighting was a false flag, manipulated solely for optics and to depose the existing regime. Hatred and suspicion had spread throughout Mandalorian society. Leaders like Pre Vizsla thrive on fear. They stoke it. They offer easy solutions to complex problems, convincing the people that violence is the only way to achieve greatness. Pre Vizsla created a cult of personality around himself. He represented what Mandalorians wanted to see in themselves. He appealed to their arrogance, pride, and worst tendencies, and people gladly turned over their society to this authoritarian. Pre Vizsla's dark, violent vision for Mandalore was greeted with thunderous applause. His victory, however, was short-lived. The fragile alliance between Death Watch and the Shadow Collective fell apart shortly after Pre Vizsla assumed power, and the Zabrak brothers retaliated by having Maul challenge Pre Vizsla in combat. Pre Vizsla was honor-bound to accept, and the two fought, allowing Maul to easily kill Pre Vizsla and claim the Darksaber. Like you said, only the strongest shall rule. I claim this sword, and my rightful place as leader of Death Watch. Back on Coruscant, news of the coup reached Obi-Wan. This is a message for Obi-Wan Kenobi. I've lost Mandalore. My people have been massacred, and Olmec is now the Prime Minister. I can't explain everything now, but Olmec has the support of the crime families. Obi-Wan, I need your help. Your thoughts on this, Master Kenobi? We cannot just hand Mandalore over to these crime families and let Satine become a martyr. I'm afraid her decision to keep Mandalore neutral makes this situation difficult. But Yoda, always one eye on the politics of the situation, 
tempered Obi-Wan's expectations. Understand your feelings. I do, Obi-Wan. But to take action, support from the Republic Senate, we will need. You know what the Senate will decide. They will not send aid to a neutral system. At this time, nothing more can we do. In one of the only times Obi-Wan defied the Council, he chose to go to Satine's aid. Years of dealing with Anakin's impulsiveness had obviously rubbed off on Obi-Wan. Turns out, in matters of the heart, Master and Apprentice were not so different. Obi-Wan snuck onto Mandalore disguised in Mandalorian armor, in what could be perceived as a visual clue about what Obi-Wan's future might have been had events played out differently. Here to do more of your master's bidding? I do my own bidding. Obi-Wan! Back on Mandalore, Obi-Wan and Satine's feelings for each other were explicit. Are you alone? Yes. The Jedi Council and Galactic Senate will be of no help to us here. I trust you have an escape plan then. As always, my dear. Their banter was more familiar, more relaxed even as the current situation was more dire than ever before. Fate, however, was not on their side. Both were quickly captured, and Obi-Wan found himself in the throne room, facing Maul's merciless retribution. Your noble flaw is a weakness shared by you and your Duchess. You should have chosen the dark side, Master what? Jedi. Your emotions betray you. Your fear, and yes, your anger. Let your anger deepen your hatred. Don't listen to him, Obi. Quiet. It's interesting that Maul is doing that thing that the Sith always do. He's trying to turn Obi-Wan to the dark side. Although not technically still a Sith Lord, Maul remembers little about his life before the dark side. Misery, anger, bloodlust, revenge. These are the only emotions that sustained him after his injury. The only thing that kept him alive was a pull to the dark side. So he retreats to a place of pure instinct. He inflicts pain upon Kenobi with the additional objective of turning him, possibly gaining a new ally within the darkness. He never states this, but it's pretty obvious that Maul's obsession stems from a drive to conquer and convert his greatest enemy. You can kill me, but you will never destroy me. It takes strength to resist the dark side. Only the weak embrace it. It is more powerful than you know. And those who oppose it are more powerful than you'll ever be. I know where you're from. I've been to your village. I know the decision to join the dark side wasn't yours. The Night Sisters made it for you. Silence! You think you know me? It was I who languished for years, thinking of nothing but you. Nothing but this moment. And now, the perfect tool for my vengeance is in front of us. I never planned on killing you. But I will make you share my pain, Kenobi. Impaled upon the Darksaber, Satine's life was extinguished as Obi-Wan was forced to watch. Theirs was a love of possibility, years of regret, second-guessing, 
and duty gave way to final moments together and final goodbyes. The last thing Satine saw were the blue eyes of the man who knew her, understood her, would have given up all he knew if she'd only just asked. But she never allowed herself to take that step. She used her final breath to amend that mistake. Remember, my dear Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan held her, unable to change her fate. The Force gave Obi-Wan knowledge and strength, but the Force had also willed that he would follow a different path, and that he and Satine could never be together. Knowing this did nothing to soothe the sting of loss and the haunted question of what if. Kevin Kiner contributes a beautiful, heartbreaking score to the story of Obi-Wan and Satine. It conveys the sadness of a love affair that was never allowed to see fruition, but persisted, nevertheless, for both involved. Maul intended to lock Kenobi away to agonize over his loss, but the surviving dissenters of Death Watch intervened. Satine's sister, Bo-Katan, was among them. Sorry, I don't believe we've met. You are... Bo-Katan. I'm here to rescue you. That's all you need to know. Sounds good to me. Although she did not share her sister's vision for Mandalore's future, she believed in Mandalore's resilience, and she was determined after the death of her sister that the planet would not be ruled by an outsider like Maul. Satine had meant something different to each of them, but her death affected them both. Bo-Katan continued to fight for a strong Mandalore, while Obi-Wan Kenobi returned to his life and his duty within the Order. But he left a piece of himself on Mandalore. His heart was now tethered to a memory. A memory of the goodness and the hope that Satine Kryze once brought to the people of Mandalore. She had challenged him. She made him evaluate his allegiance to the Jedi Order, but also forced him to face how his role in the Clone War had affected their friendship and may have played a part in their fate to never be together. Most of all, Obi-Wan remembered the precious confession that spilled from her lips as she lay dying in his arms. Fate had brought them together, but it was fate that kept them apart. It was never meant to be this unfulfilled future for the Duchess and the Jedi. Ah, uh, there's nothing quite like a downer ending, is there? Well, the story of Satine and Obi-Wan resonated because it's a classical romantic tragedy, but also because it takes the opportunity to showcase similar circumstances between Obi-Wan and Anakin, and it shows us what a Jedi is willing to sacrifice when he chooses to let go of attachment. The path is no less painful and no easier to reconcile. But at least Obi-Wan didn't lose himself in darkness as Anakin did. 
but I want to know what you thought about the faded love affair of this episode. Did you see more parallels between this love affair and the one between Anakin and Padme? Or do you see them as entirely different and separate situations? You can respond by emailing me at clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com or at mention me on Twitter at DJMMARQUIS, DJM Marquis. I've had quite a lot of personal projects in the last few months, so I haven't been able to devote as much time to producing content for Forever Star Wars, but I hope to continue delivering new episodes and new topics in the near future. I really appreciate your patience and your support. Thank you and farewell. Until next time. The views and commentary of Forever Star Wars do not reflect those of Lucasfilm or Disney. All licensed sound and music are property of their respective copyright holders. Clashing Sabers and Forever Star Wars are not affiliated with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of their subsidiaries. The commentary and production of this series is the property of Clashing Sabers and Forever Star Wars and may only be used with permission. Until next time, may the Force be with you. And always remember... Your focus determines your reality.